welcome to the Agile BI podcast, where we chat with guests or sometimes just to ourselves about being agile with teams who are delivering data, analytics, and visualizations. Hi, I'm Shane Gibson. Hi, I'm Blair Tempro. Hi, I'm Kat Greenbrook. <laughs> hey Kat, welcome. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Um, I suppose what really piqued my interest was this idea of data storytelling. So, yeah, we do a lot of work in the Agile BI space. We're working with data, we're working with analytics. We often talk about visualizations. But what we find is visualizations are synonymous with a dashboard. Um, and, you know, I listen to a lot of Agile podcasts around the world. And when I hear podcasts about storytelling with Agile, what I tend to hear is about presentation skills, about way of people presenting their story verbally um, at a conference or to the team they're coaching or to the, the stakeholders they're working with. Whereas from what I see you do, you tell about how you can tell stories with data when you're not actually there to verbalize it, to wave your hands, to, to give it that emphasis. So really keen to talk about that today, but before we get going, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey to how you got to where you are now with data storytelling and Rogue Penguin? Yeah, sure. How far back do you want to go? <laughs> uh, we, we've had uh, back to 20 years, so okay, uh, okay. whatever yeah. you think's uh, interesting <laughs> for the audience, or more importantly for us. Yeah. <laughs> well, I graduated university with a science degree. Um, back then it wasn't, you couldn't go to university and get a data science degree or an analytics degree or anything like that, that just wasn't done. Uh, so I came out with a science degree in genetics, didn't want to work in genetics, so fell into business. And I started off in a customer service centre, because that was the only role that I could get with a science degree, and worked my way very flukingly into analytics roles. And so my journey in this whole data space just kind of went from there, by accident almost. Um, so I've done a lot of different analytics roles, right from reporting through to insight and then more predictive modelling. Um, worked in New Zealand and overseas and I kind of got to a point about 10 years into my analytics journey where I was just getting really frustrated with the lack of action off the back of any of these outcomes or outputs. And I had it in my head that data visualisation was was a solution to this. So for me, at the time, I thought data visualization would make analytics more engaging, um, which would lead to better decision making off the back of it. And so data visualization then became the next step on the pathway and I went and studied digital design to help me with that kind of side of things. Uh, some of my early data visualizations were absolute crap. <laughs> And I can say that because I did them. <laughs> they were still better than anything I can do today. Yeah, so, well, yep, yep. we learn, don't we? Yep, so, we do. uh, and study really helped in that to fill in my design, my design gaps. Uh, but what I found in the last couple of years since starting Rogue Penguin is that data visualization only takes you so far, and you can make something that's really pretty and really engaging, but actually really useless. And so for me, the whole data storytelling side of it is more around how do we effectively communicate our insights. And if you combine that with good data visualization, then that can help make a difference. Cool. So that's where I've ended up. 
Excellent. So, so that combination of, of storytelling and data, right? So I remember, you know, when we were kids, I used to read comics, right? And, mm -hmm. and I, I love comics. And I remember working with you quite a while ago where we, we took this weird idea of taking a user guide um, with something that was quite complex and, um, and turning it into a comic, right? And mm -hmm. I think oh, it's still wow. sitting on, on the wall. I still love it. Um, for me... The amount of time you took to distill something that was quite complex and make it into something that was so easy to consume as a comic uh, was was a lot longer than I would have expected, right? Mm -hmm. um, how do you find that with data storytelling, right? How do you find that in this modern agile world where we get taught that, you know, I can grab a bit of data, I can whack it through these magic tools and I can just get a dashboard in 15 minutes or less where what you're trying to do is distill some complexity into something that can be consumed as if it was a comic. Mm -hmm. um, if that's how you still think about it, how do you find that process? Uh, is, is that as hard as it's always seemed? Yeah. <laughs> and we don't, we don't spend enough time on it. And it is the time, the longer the time you spend on it, the more effective I think it ends up being. And if you're designing something for yourself, there's no need to worry about it. You already know that it's effective for you, right? But as soon as you start designing or communicating to somebody else, that's when you've got to put in the time. And I actually, I was having a chat to someone earlier, uh, last week I think it was, and she she had, she had said something and it really left me feeling like, oh yeah, you know, it really had an impact. And so she said that we, we put in the effort now, and even if it's 10 minutes extra of our time, well, if we combine all the time it takes all of the people that receive what we do and say they have to put in 10 minutes extra of their time right. and then it adds up and adds up. So right. just a little bit extra of, of the storyteller's time actually is quite impactful if you think of how many other people then have to consume that information. So I was wondering how you, um, how you work with your customer on that. Do you um, spend a lot of time up front you know, collecting requirements and... Um, and kind of just fleshing it out, or do you bring them along for the journey as a kind of an agile type setup where you're alongside them for the whole for the whole thing? Yeah, it, it works differently with different people, and I think it depends on the scope and the purpose of the output. And so sometimes, if it's a data visualization, uh, it's got a completely different purpose maybe than a than a report or a, an A3 or something which combines more storytelling. But if, I'd like to split data storytelling into the writing part of it and then the visualization part of it. Oh. So if you can get the writing, the actual narrative written down first before you even start to think about any of the visuals and how you would display the data, if everyone can agree on that first, then the visualization side of it is very easy to do. And I like to go back and forth a lot when I'm dealing with clients just because you don't want to give them something at the very end of the process and have them, you know, take mm. it to pieces because they haven't been involved. Oh, that's, that's what Waterfall does, right? Is, yeah. is, you know, talk to them at the beginning, think you understand their expectation and then come back at the end and be surprised where they go, oh, yeah. that's not what I wanted. And we've all made those No, 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 right? no. We've, we've all done that <laughs> many years of our life. Um, so what I, what I really liked about that was what I think you said to me was um, you almost do a a draft of the key points of the story, right? So this is the kind of story we're going to tell. Um, and then you iteratively flesh out that story. And as you do that, you go back and talk to them. Do you find, though, as, as you... So you have your narrative, you know, which is telling, telling the story you want to store, tell. And then you go grab this thing called data. And no doubt at some stage you find that either the data doesn't support that story 
or worse, you don't have data that can support it or not support it because the data is just not there for that piece of the sentence or that paragraph. Do you find that happens a lot, a little? I find people think that that happens a lot, and yep. you've pretty much just described what what people are scared of. I think around data storytelling is that whole that you're you're making up the narrative um, before you look at the data, but. Data storytelling, if you're thinking of the whole analytics process, comes at the very end. So you've already done all the, the analysis, you've got all the insight. It's just about arranging it in a way that makes it concise and compelling to consume. So I suppose one of the things I, I've spent a lot of time working through when I'm teaching or coaching um, teams around Agile and data now is this idea of natural language. You know, you've, you've been through um, the Beam stuff and, and it's that thing of beauty of when you say who does what, it's a natural language. Um, I still struggle with what uh, a, a data story would be, right? Because I'm still used to dashboards or an A3 roadmap that tells us where we might be in two years. Yeah. Have you got an example, I'm putting you on spot here, an example in your head of, of what a data story, what a narrative might be, just so we have something to frame it with? So the difference between a data story with a narrative and a dashboard has got to do a lot with the, the kind of visualisation that it's communicated through. So. Dashboard visualizations are very exploratory, they're more operational, and they're designed for people to um, explore, so to find the information that, that, that they're looking for. Whether we're a, an A3 or a narrative um, data story is more, it's, it's, it's not designed for someone to explore, it's designed for someone to consume. Yep. So you're, you're, you're actually taking, you're, you're designing the story for them rather than them having to explore it to find it themselves. So effectively telling them the answer, but taking them through the beginning, the middle, the end. Yeah, and why yeah. it's important. So yeah. a lot of the time when we communicate insights, we might put it in a report, there'll be a whole bunch of graphs on a page, and people are kind of left to their own devices as to choose what's important to them. Yep. And if they don't understand something in a wider business sense, they may not get the full story or the big picture. Yep. And so the point of data stories is help to communicate insight uh, that that does show that big picture and it pulls in all those aspects of why it's important and the, why these particular data points or things that we're finding in the data is important. So if, if I still think of a data story as like a comic, beginning, middle and end, mm -hmm. like any good story, have you got an example that you've done where you could tell us that you know, really quickly and that narrative is an example of what a data story would read like? So it doesn't, it doesn't have to have a beginning, middle and end. Okay. I like to think of it, yes, it, it's not a story in the sense that we think story, it's more just narrative structure. And so if we apply narrative structure into the way that we communicate insight, then it becomes more engaging. Uh, and so there's a great uh, a narrative structure by someone called Randy Olson, he's a science communicator, and he's called it an ABT structure, which stands for and, but, therefore. So I like to think of the and section, you can have something and then something else, I and mean, that's kind of setting the scene, it provides a background, so any any context that a reader needs to be able to understand what's coming next. And then the middle section is a problem, so you have something and something else happens and something else, and it goes on and, 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 and then you go but, which is a big contrast here, and that's what engages people, that's what wakes people up. And that's where you have this kind of problem statement that you can lay out using data or whatever you've got. And then the therefore statement at the bottom just summed it all up. It says, well, what's next? What are we going to do about it? What does this mean? And it's a really simple structure, but it provides a lot of um, 
it's a lot better way of communication rather than just going, here's a graph of this, and here's a graph of that, and here's a graph of this, and kind of expecting the data to speak for itself. Right. Because the data never speaks for itself. No, no, no. Well, it probably speaks in many different tongues, right? It speaks yeah. for the person yeah. that's um, designing it or, or building the Yeah, graphs. exactly. And yeah. so you've got to be very careful, I think, as a data storyteller, not to put too much of your own bias or the business's bias even into what you're saying, because it can get very, very biased in the way that you present information because you are dictating the narrative. Oh yeah, I've seen these complex spider web type graphs. Oh, I love those neural net, uh, network graphs. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's not standard storytelling. <laughs> because, because I, I mean, I, I think of them as uh, London Underground. Right, uh, I love the London Underground as a visualization, but the reason I love it is that once I have the data in that format, once that's visualized, I can verbally tell multiple stories. Right, right? I can say, Hey, look, you know, this is what's happened, yeah. um, but I have to be there to verbalize it. Yeah, as soon as it's on its own, yeah, 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 overwhelmed, right? There's too much, you don't know what to focus on. You can tell yourself your There's own story, lots but lots of different narratives that you yeah. can tell from one visualization, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's a good point, yeah. So we're sort of moving towards the click stories, you know, using the part of click that you can actually build that narrative in, but we're not experts by any means. Mm. So you know when you guys did that public-facing stuff that you've just done, where you're yep. producing some data or some visualisations to, to members of the public, did you guys take a storytelling approach or did you kind of reuse your... Yeah, dashboarding, we know there's some yeah. things we want to count or present. And so this was very very much the, the first prototype or the right. first um, first example. So we took something that we already had and built it into QAP, using QAP. Right. And um, But that's certainly the journey we're going to go on now that we've got Click for Public. We're going to be building a roadmap so that we can you know, start putting a bit more effort into the user experience and mm. in the storytelling side okay. of it to become experts very quickly or no one will look at them. <laughs> <laughs> well it's interesting you say that you're relying on a tool to be able to tell stories. Yeah. Because I don't I don't think that's gonna solve the problem. No, exactly. It's the old technology doesn't solve what yeah. people can't do. Yeah, but it might make us think about telling stories. Yeah. Whereas at the moment it's pretty much it's going to make it easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully. Or worse. Because you'll you'll bring back some visualisations where you could tell four or five stories with that one visualisation. You know, you're not going to come back with a visualisation that's one number. No. You're probably unlikely to come back with a visualisation that's one line on a bar chart. Yeah. Exactly. You're going to bring back at least two dimensions, because we that's how graphs work, um, if not three or four, and then you're going to try and either, either you're not going to write a narrative around the way you could look at and the outcome that you should get, or you're going to write one that's so complex with a if then else but but could be, mm. that, that actually I'm going to read it and go, yeah, that was overwhelming. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, it's a good experiment. Very good. Wait, yeah. wait, wait till you do the next round and then we'll have a look and give yep. you a retro. Always <laughs> love Shane's, Shane's retros. Retro and process. Be ready to be told off. <laughs> told off? You mean uh, encouraged to review what you're doing in ways you could have... Yeah, but told improve. off is easier to say. It's <laughs> <laughs> so unagile coaching, thank you very much. Um, so I know you've kind of moved from doing, mm -hmm. right, to kind of... Um, teaching mm -hmm. and I'm assuming at some stage where if you're not already now coaching and mentoring teams you, you will be um, well that's a good brand name isn't it 
do teach coach. Um, <laughs> what was it teach coach do? Um, so anyway, so so the thing, yeah, you know, when you run your courses, right? When you teach people how to tell stories, yeah. Um, what are you finding the the majority of the audience is made up of? Is it is it BAs? Is it cool visualization people? Is it data transformation gurus? Is it BI data teams? Or I mean, it's going to be a mix, but mm. but. What kind of is, is yeah. your standard audience at the moment? Definitely a mix. Um, I've had a lot of different people right through for, from engineers to HR people. Uh, but majority of them work in BI analytics teams for big companies. So the data is, that they're dealing with is obviously quite big. And they just need help with communicating their insights. Cool. So they're trying to basically improve the way they behave. Yeah. Improve their effectiveness of what they do, right? Yeah. So they're really, really, really good at what they do, analytics-wise. They just need a little bit of help with how do they communicate that elsewhere. And do you find that that, um, that process of, of telling a story using data is a team sport or is it a, at the moment kind of something where people tend to do it on their own? Um, could be either. So it works well either way. I've I've had teams where we've had post-it notes all over the wall trying to arrange a narrative structure, uh, and it works well. But I guess it's like anything: the more people you have involved in something, the longer it's going to take. You've got more opinions. You've got mm -hmm. um, more people that really, really want their data included, even if it doesn't actually have anything <laughs> to do with the narrative. And so what we find is that maybe there's a couple of different narratives that come out of of those kind of exercises as well. Cool. Which is okay. There's so, nothing wrong with backlogging yeah. future yeah. stories. Yeah, yeah, once you've proven the value of the first one. So is yeah. that more of like a storyboarding technique where you're starting to use post-its on a, on a whiteboard or a wall to see the different ways you could storyboard that and then yeah. focusing down onto which one, you know, thin slice, which one we're going to do first? So I like, I like to have it that it's really high level first. So I kind of have a, a narrative structure that's just an elevator pitch and then you flesh it out as you confirm those. So you might have a couple of different elevator pitches and then maybe the team splits up and goes off and tries to nest other narrative structures under the, that one. Cool, so kind of decomposing the, yeah. the backlog down into almost tasks if not user stories. So on that, do you do you form a persona or an audience that the, the story's targeted at? Does that something that you kind of craft around it to help focus on the, the type of person that's going to consume the story, therefore the way you tell it and the way you visualise the data to support it yeah. is different? Yeah, absolutely. So that comes before you even get to the narrative. So for me, data storytelling is three important things. So message is obviously a big one, which includes narrative <coughs> and data. Uh, but you've also got purpose and you've also got audience. So it is a form of communication. So any form of communication needs to have a purpose. Otherwise, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. There's no point trying to communicate something if you've got nothing to say and so you've got no purpose and audience if you don't understand your audience fully it doesn't really matter what you're saying if you're communicating it in the wrong way so these are the important questions you ask the customer up front obviously and some of it is just going through certain exercises to understand audience better and it may be that you're just guessing which is fine but you're still putting yourself in a position to have a little bit of an opportunity to have empathy for someone else. Mm. And so audience understanding is, all the, is really around thinking how would this person like to be communicated to because this person is not me. A lot of the time we communicate things in the way that we want to be communicated to. And so if you're an analyst and you're loving a lot of detail in the way that you're communicated to, you tend to push that detail onto someone else 
whether they like it or not. Yeah, and I suppose the other thing you'll find is that yeah, when you say to them, who's the audience, they'll go, everybody. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, no, 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 neither, but oh, everybody in the company, yeah. you know, and so that yeah. it's easy, right? I can opt out just by going, everybody, I don't have to think about it, I don't yeah. have to make a decision, I don't have to take a risk that I've got the wrong audience or communicate it the wrong way. And the thing is, if you try and please everyone, you, you end up with something so generic that it, it's not fit for purpose, any of any purpose. So when you talked about and, 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 but, and then... You know, the, is the then an action? Is therefore. Yeah, therefore, sorry, yep, <laughs> therefore, yeah. Um, is that an action? So, you know, years ago we kind of worked on this idea that there's no point building an analytical model if you didn't have a hypothesis about the action you're going to take. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you talk about, um, you know, one, an analytical model that's going to do uh, cross-sell. Right, you know, and what's the why we're we doing this? Well, you know, the action we want to take is offer a person something else and hope they buy it. Right, so that way it helped us kind of refine the model so that it was small enough, agile enough to just answer that, and we could build later. But we weren't boiling the ocean. Do you, in your the way you talk about storytelling, the therefore seems to me to be I'm inferring at the moment that it's mm. it's an action. So. Right at the beginning, you're saying, "What's the narrative we want to tell? Who are we going to tell it to? And what action would we expect them to take as a result of that narrative if it was successful?" Is that? Is, did I get that right? It can be an action. Doesn't have to be. So it's just a structure. And so the therefore could just be reaffirming what you've already said. The therefore could be, therefore we need to look into this further, which I guess is an action as well. Right. Yep. So it can be. It doesn't have to be an action, no. But if it's not an action, what's the point? Apart from it's pretty and cool and I have to look on my website. <laughs> well, the therefore could could be to say you've got a problem. I don't, I don't know. I'm thinking. Sorry. Right on the spot now? <laughs> yeah, that's what we do on the Agile <laughs> BI podcast. What about, what about therefore we accept that nothing's going to help this cause? Well, that's, an, that's I guess an inaction. Yeah. But you're, you're therefore could back up your hypothesis at the beginning, yeah. so you can mm. say so. So therefore we were right now thinking that the data backs us up. So right, could, okay, you know, so therefore be... the actions we're taking based on that data are now supported by the narrative. Yeah, yeah okay, okay, I like that. It's a bit like on the um, story card that we put up there. Um, so that. So that. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so that, I yeah. use user stories as well when yeah. I do audience understanding exercises. Oh, really? Yeah. Tell me about that. So if a lot of the time when you're designing something, you, as you said before, you want to design it for everybody, but that doesn't work, as we've talked about. So I get people to write down all the possible um, different audience groups that, yep. that could be interested in something like this. And they, we end up with a whole bunch of post-its all over the over the room. And then for each of those audience, try and get people to write as many user stories as they can about those audience groups. And what we find from that exercise is you'll get certain audience groups that you know a lot about and you can easily write user stories for. And most of the time, these this audience group ends up being your, your primary audience. It's good to be aware of everyone else who could be interested and what motivates them, but at the end of the day, you're designing for a primary audience. That's cool, because that's bringing up that whole agile technique that as we learn how to do new things, we should try and isolate the risk or the change or the, the things that are hard in other areas. So. If we, picked, uh, if we picked a group where we didn't actually know a lot about them, we couldn't articulate a user story, and then we use them as the way of practicing and learning how to do data storytelling, then we're naturally having to learn two things. Mm. What do they want, what do they need, and how the hell do I do this process? Yeah. By isolating it down to things we actually know quite well, then we're just focusing on that data storytelling. Yeah. So, um, so I'm stuck with, 
and use the story land as, as at I want so that, you know, and typically, because most of the data BI analytics teams I work with, we, we get down to relatively technical user stories mm. by natural. If you got an example of what a user story would be for you in that kind of, in, in that framework? So I do exercises um, in my workshops around climate change data. It's a okay, very cool. um, big topic. It involves a lot of different audiences. And something you're passionate about. And something yep. I'm passionate about, yep. And so uh, we go through an audience brainstorm exercise and a lot of the time the groups are quite big. And so what I like to do if we have like a general public audience is split it into what do they believe? Do they believe in climate change or do they not believe in climate change? And so writing user stories for those two different groups you'll have quite different user stories for yeah. And it goes back to actually understanding the purpose of why you're communicating to these groups. So I give them the purpose. The purpose is to, um, to get people to change what they do to, against a ne the negative effects of a changing climate. So get people to change what they do to counteract those effects. It's not to get people to believe in climate change, and that's the important thing. So purposes don't change when you're, when you're communicating something, but the message can be tailored to the audience. That's why it's so important to understand the audience before you start writing the message. And so writing a user story for someone who doesn't believe in climate change, it's never going to mention the word climate change versus someone who is does believe in climate change, you can mention it or go for gold. Mm. Um, but it's realizing what motivates people. And there could be really simple things like a user story for someone who doesn't believe in climate change could be, as a climate change non-believer, I want, New Zealand to reduce their fossil fuel use um, to keep our so that New Zealand can keep its clean green image. So you're still um, designing for that purpose in mind, but the way that you would communicate to that person is not going to mention the word climate change. Cool. And then the narrative and the data is then to support that user story yeah. right, and, and encourage yeah. that behaviour. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about um, you know you can't use the word climate change for the people that don't believe in climate change number of times I'm coaching a team where we have to use the word iterative or new way of working or agile BI way or iterative BI way or new way um, it's because you know somebody's experimented with doing stand-ups on a daily basis haven't changed any of their other behavior and therefore they've and I'm using my fingers with the quote marks they've <laughs> tried agile and failed so um, yeah that's interesting. Um, so when we bring up this this lovely world of data science and and all this um, this new nirvana that um, will automate our lives, um, what I found is that um, the first part of data science when we started that journey, we moved away from teams to teams of one. Right? We we had the unicorn. This was a person that I articulate could be a business analyst and engage and and understand the narrative of the story that needed to be told could go away and engineer the data in a repeatable way and write the code. And then for the third trifecta was, you know, actually you could then write the, the do the analytic hypothesis, the science of it of, I have an experiment, I want to prove that that's true or not, and then and then close that out. So so the true unicorn that could do those three, three things well and repeatably. Um, what I've seen is actually we end up with teams of three, right? We end up with somebody that, or, or teams of two where there's a bit of an overlap, but typically three core skills. The, the facilitation, understanding, and, and dealing with people, the, the engineering of the data to see whether the data is make the data available for, for testing the hypothesis and the testing of the hypothesis. But I don't often see the storytelling right uh, in there. It's either, I'm not sure whether it's naturally a T skill within one of those three roles, or 
actually we just need to introduce that fourth skill um, yeah and I, I don't know I mean I, I don't know whether the data scientists are naturally producing data stories that have narrative and content that can be used without them waving their hands and saying the words what's your experience data storytelling is a relatively new uh, I don't know if you call it a role yet but it's in I um, I updated my website maybe 18 months ago with data storytelling more as the focus service and I found that I didn't get as many hits. We weren't talking about it. No. So I rebranded to data visualization and made that the focus because everyone was talking about it. And even though it was the same thing, uh, we didn't understand the concept of data storytelling back then, even just 18 months ago. Uh, now... Uh, data storytelling is the term that everyone understands and wants. Do you think in New Zealand or globally? Uh, I don't know yet. Because um, I, I don't see it on the Gartner. Oh, I have to check. I don't see it on the Gartner hype cycle. Or... It, well, it was it was listed as something that teams should train or educate more around the okay. data storytelling field. Right. And but it's never been listed, I don't think, before. So right. it, it is a relatively new thing. But I think. A lot of the time it gets incorporated into data visualization is something that data visualizers would just naturally do or yep. should do, especially if you're creating more of the infographic kind of right. um, visualizations. But the amount of infographics that you see that have no narrative whatsoever, they're just a bunch of statistics on a page, um, that's not that's mm. not a data story. For me, I've seen infographics digress, or, or regress, sorry is the word, right? They used to take a long time because you were handcrafting them and, and I'm assuming that's because you were doing the process you're talking about. You, you figured out what you wanted to say, you wrote the narrative and then you created the visualisations that supported the narrative. As more tools coming out with some form of infographic creation, mm. um, really what you're doing now is just putting a bunch of graphs on a page that doesn't look like a standard matrix dashboard. Um, you're not actually crafting the narrative. No. Um, so I, I think you know, we, we've lost the art of the infographic. Well, I think it, it, the more tools that come, come along that make it easier for you to just put a bunch of graphs on a page and maybe an icon or two and make it look a little bit more engaging, mm. um, maybe there's less value in the, in the people that are actually crafting that narrative and spending that time. I've seen some really good examples. Um, probably the best one is during the Brexit voting where they had just a, a map of the UK and blue is yes and red is no and just a heat map around the country and mm. no words were needed <laughs> it was just this is where they're saying yes this is where they're saying no but it's pretty rare that you would say that you wouldn't yeah. need words to back it up well that's I, th I would still call that an exploratory database but mm. you they would have made it knowing that really there's one big narrative that people are going to see naturally from it Mm. So they don't they don't need words. They don't actually need to show that narrative. Um, just the visuals enough. But that's unusual, right? That we can distill yeah. our data and our hypothesis down to a single yes no, or a pie chart with a big slice and a little slice, right? Yeah. Which is effectively what we're doing. You're relying on the audience to have an understanding already of the background and what could contribute to that narrative. Which comes back to right at the beginning, you know, you talked about who we're writing this narrative for, yeah. and therefore you could gauge their level of skill, or their domain, or their knowledge around the subject, and therefore you're telling the narrative to support 
who they are and, and what they already know, yeah. teaching them something new, not, not teaching them the sucky eggs or making something incredibly complex where there's no way. I mean, uh, Helena had a really interesting one. She's, um, she's making um, sensors for houses that monitor um, uh, carbon dioxide and humidity and, and that uh, for healthy homes. And she talked about, um, you know, she as a product owner, she, she, you know, she's been a product for a long time, this was her company. She took an experiment and, and it failed. And her experiment was she thought she could get them made in parts and then delivered out to the houses um, where they could put them together and that way she'd save money and, and make it cheaper for them to buy. But she found when she went and tested it that actually uh, a, a number of the people didn't actually know how to use a screwdriver. Mm. And so she had to document, you know, lefty, loosey, tidy, righty, righty, tidy. Um, and again, we, we forget that our audience it's not us. We know? design for ourselves. We design for ourselves. I think yeah. You, yeah, you said that. So yeah, really, really important. So so the magic that's coming in terms of all these great tools, right? These storytelling visualization tools and AI again, finger quote, where um, it's going to look at my data and use natural language magic with machine learning and a neural machine AI thing, and just tell me the story. Is it coming? I know it's coming in a hype cycle, but D different. Different purposes. So I think, yes, AI is going to get better and better and better, but that's something more, I think, when you're designing for maybe a tool or an operational purpose, incorporating AI into those kind of solutions works really well. Uh, data storytelling is completely separate. It's, it's, it's far more communication than it is trying to create a, a tool or a software from it. So, yeah, chalk and cheese, I think. So coming back to those agile principles that conversations are important, collaboration is why we do it. We um, actually have to think for ourselves. Yeah, I think I used to say, still need a brain. Yeah. Yep, yep, um, yeah. Cool. So data storytelling in New Zealand, like, apart from yourself, how many other people would you say are teachers or coaches or are experts in this domain in the whole of New Zealand? Um, not To be honest, there's probably not a lot of storytelling in the way that I've described it in the, in the way of actually including that narrative or writing that narrative first. Um, there's a, a Cole Nafflick, she's from the US, she runs data storytelling workshops all around the world, she's been doing that for a while and so she's really big um, internationally in this field. Um, I think it's a very almost niche audience for this as well, so data storytelling it's, it's going to be really beneficial for people who are knee-deep in data and have to communicate their insights that they find to a, to a wider audience. If you're thinking at it from like a brand or a company point of view, trying to communicate to the general public, it would be quite different. But don't you think that the, the idea of the way you teach data storytelling, the way you teach it that you need to understand the message you think you want to tell, you need to understand the audience you're going to tell it to, you need to oh, craft like, a narrative. It's marketing 101. Mm. But it's a process, right? And it's a process that any team that deals with data analytics or BI or visualisation, mm -hmm. that process itself is really valuable. It's a process of iteration, it's a process of collaboration, it's a process of learning fast whether you're not actually going to do what you what you committed to yeah uh, I just I heard a whole lot of agile techniques mm. even though you never use the word agile and <laughs> but they just implicit in, in the way you're behaving and the way you're coaching so for me that's cool right mm. um, yeah it, it's again it's just a reuse of better ways of working um, but in a whole new area 
Which is an area that's been around for a long time, but, you know, underserved. Well, I think it's like, like any new discipline that comes along, it kind of incorporates a whole lot of things from a whole bunch of other different disciplines, yeah. and then creates its own. And I think for me that's the key word, right, is, is I think data storytelling is becoming a discipline, mm. you know? Um, so we may end up talking about data analytics, visualisation and storytelling, mm. right, as, as a fourth di discipline. Um, because at the moment, I don't think it's yet seen as a discipline, but I think it may be coming that way. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that was a siren for. Uh, <laughs> so that was just a car going past with the siren. Hey, look. Um, thank you. Thank you for your time. That, that's You're been welcome. pretty awesome. Um, I know that, that the company you started, Rogue Penguin, mm -hmm. um, you're kind of doing some really cool stuff. Do you want to kind of close out with a, just just a little bit about what you guys, well, you or you guys, you, you sorry, you, you sorry, what you or. or you and others <laughs> um, do? Uh, yes, so Rogue Penguin is two and a half years old now. Started off as offering a range of very broad services and right through from graphic design to um, analytical modeling. And so it's kind of been uh, narrowed down in the service offering based on what, what the need was. So data storytelling has come out as the, the one challenge I think that a lot of analytics teams have and I like to work from the point that I don't want to do the work and then leave. I want to teach other people how to do this so they can carry on doing it and it's not going to be something that everyone wants to do but I think if you can get a team educated on the basics and then you're going to have those champions come out within a team. So. What I'm finding is that if I go in and do training within a team, there are going to be a couple of people come out as data storytelling champions who are really, really interested in this kind of thing. And so then I work with those people as a, on a mentoring one-on-one -on -one basis. And so half of, the, half of the business is geared around workshops, and so I'm running them across New Zealand at the moment. And the other half will be me actually doing, um, being involved in those client projects and doing more data storytelling and visualisation work. As a service. Excellent. And if someone wants to get hold of you after this podcast and, and have a chat, you can to get hold of you. pretty much get me on any social media channel or go straight through to the website roguepenguin.co.nz. Cool. And once I do figure out how to put those contact details on the blog <laughs> on the podcast when we publish them, uh, I'll add those to the podcast. Uh, so they're there. It's a backlog story for me at the moment that uh, I haven't quite worked out yet. But not a priority yet until we do publish. Excellent. Yeah. Hey, look, yeah. thanks for your time. It's been freaking awesome. Uh, good to catch up. And uh, really hopefully, nice to meet you. Yeah. yeah and we might too. get you back on in, in six months or a year's time when Gartner Hype Cycle sees data <laughs> stories, the thing, there's the. Fingers uh, crossed. The cat book and the online training course, and you're keynoting around the world, and it becomes actually a discipline that everybody's doing as they should. Hopefully. Yeah? Yeah. I hope so too. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to another podcast from Blair and Shane, where we discuss all things Agile BI. For more podcasts and resources, please go to agilebi.guru.